be set in the midst of so many and great dangers that by reason of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant to us such strength and protection as may support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations. Through thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Well, welcome back to the Treadweary Podcast. I'm Pastor Carlton Smee, and this is the collect or the prayer of the day for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. And we have been making our way through Epiphany, and this is actually the last, technically, the last Sunday in Epiphany Tide coming up here for January 30th, because the following Sunday then is Transfiguration Sunday for us as we're going through this one-year lectionary instead of the three-year lectionary. And then we get into Septuagesima, which is one of my favorite seasons because it's just a fun word to say, Septuagesima, or Jessima Tide. And so we, we come to this collect, and it's interesting because, at least uh, as, as we're using the prayers out of our old SBH uh, service book and hymnal, uh, which is the, uh, the newest uh, hymnal that we can go to that has the three-year lectionary for those of us uh, in the LBW crowd, in the LCMC, um, the, the, all the other propers for the day <laughs> are basically the same as the previous week, except for this collect has changed, in part because sometimes we don't even we wouldn't even be celebrating the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany because we would only have the three Sundays or so, and then we'd have Transfiguration Sunday, depending on when Easter falls. But here we have this collect that I love. I love the poetry of the older prayers. And they are they are poetry. They are ways to take the English language and use it with some power. Use it in a way that, that we're able to put uh, two words, our feelings or our needs. And sometimes those words do something to us because it's part of the reason why I love liturgy. I tell people this all the time. Liturgy is great because it gives us words when we don't have any. It gives us words when we are in grief or in despair or, or uh, not knowing what we are supposed to pray. And, and I've said this before on this podcast, but uh, J.I. Packer, who uh, recently died, he was an Anglican theologian, not Lutheran, but pretty close. Um, he once said that for him, for daily prayer, he would just take the collect for the week, uh, the prayer of the day for the week, and pray it slowly and meditate on each portion of it. And, and we did that as part of uh, this podcast for a while there. Um, but to take this, this prayer of the day, for instance, Almighty God, of course, we, we pray to Almighty God, the God who is almighty, has all power, and we have none, who knows us to be set in the midst of so many and great dangers. I love the way that that phrase is, is used there, who knows us to be set, to be placed in the midst of so many and great dangers, that he knows that life is hard, that he knows that life is messy. And we, we remind God of that, that you know how difficult life is for us here in our frailty, in our humanity, in our sin. That by reason of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. That by reason of our own sinful nature, by reason of our inability, we are not always able to stand before you. 
We are not always able to perform righteousness. We are not always, we often fall. We often fail. Grant to us such strength and protection as may support us in all dangers. Asking God to give us the strength and the ability to persevere. Notice that it's not saying get rid of all dangers. Keep us safe always and don't let anything bad ever happen to us. It's, it's knowing that danger is going to come, that we will fall. But we are asking God to grant us the strength and the support, the help, that we might be strong enough to persevere and carry us through all temptations, to, to, to carry us along when our, our sinfulness betrays us. When we are unable to do that which we should be able to do, if it weren't for the fact that we are sinful human beings, we ask God to carry us through. It's a beautiful prayer, beautiful prayer. Well, let's move on to our text. Our first reading comes from the prophet Jonah, the first chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your god. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come. Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because... He had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder how many of you don't know this story. Everybody knows Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the great fish, or whatever uh, term you want to use. And it's an interesting look at the frailty of humanity, that here we have Jonah 
and he gets told by God, go to your enemies and preach against them because its wickedness has come up before me. You would think that Jonah would go, heck yeah, let's go. Because isn't that what our goal is? Don't we want to get in the face of our enemies and call them out on their wickedness? But no, he goes, no, I'm not going there. I think in part because uh, he was an enemy of Nineveh, of the Assyrian Empire. And he feared they'd kill him, probably. But also, later on we find out, he also feared that God would show compassion. That through the preaching of Jonah, God would do a work to transform the hearts and minds of the people there to bring repentance and to show his compassion and his steadfast love, his loving kindness, which he ends up doing. But here we have Jonah being told, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. And it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. Yeah, good luck with that. Headed for Tarshish, which uh, we don't know exactly where that is, uh, but the some of the consensus among scholars is that it was actually the furthest known point of the known world at the time. So they thought it was actually like on a southern tip of Spain. Let's go as far as we can away from God, as far as I can away from Nineveh. Hopefully I can outrun God. Hopefully God is just located here in Israel. So if I leave, God can't do anything to me. Because there was often an assumption in the ancient world that the particular god that a tribe or a country, a nation worshipped, was located in that place. Never knowing that, that God, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, was everywhere. And actually, later on here in our reading that we have here from Jonah chapter 1, Jonah admits it. He finally confesses it, where he says, I, I worship the Lord, the God who made the earth and the sea. This God that I thought I could get away from that I can't. And so he hires the boat, and, and God sends the storm, right? And he, he uh, the waves, and the rain, and the wind, the hurricane, all this stuff. And they try to do everything they can to save themselves. And then they, they come to Jonah, and they go, okay, confess. Tell us, who are you? What do you do for a living? Uh, where are you from? What, what's, what's up with you? And I love that all Jonah says is, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. He doesn't give any other occupation other than the fact that he worships the Lord or serves the Lord is, a, is another way that it could be read. The God of heaven, the God who is above us, the almighty God who made the earth and the sea, the sea and the dry land. And so then they say, well, this terrified them, right? It scares them. It worries them. Why? Because, ah, they uh, don't want to die <laughs> to start with. They don't want to die, but they also are worried because you've made your God mad. This isn't good. And so it was getting worse and worse, and they say, what should we do? And say, well, pick me up, throw me in the sea. Pick me up, throw me in the sea, and it will be calm because God is mad at me. And I think in some ways Jonah thought, well, throw me in the sea, I'll drown, I'll die. And then I don't have to do what God says. 
And the men are like, um, no, we're not going to be murderers. And so they try and save themselves and him. And then they finally discover that they can't. And so they throw him into the sea and the sea calms down and God sends the fish, right? Jonah assumes, okay, I'm going to die. Everything's going to be done. We're going to be good. But then the fish swallows him up and it says that he's in there for three days and three nights, which from Hebrew parlance means he died. And then we know the rest of the story, how he has a prayer from inside the fish. It, it barfs him up on, on dry land. God comes to him again and says, go preach to Nineveh. And he goes and he preaches. They repent. He gets mad. And the whole story is about God's mercy, especially to those that we don't want him to have mercy. And that God wins out often. That there are many times that God calls us to do something that we don't want to do. And he shows up in a way that maybe terrifies us. And yet, if God is calling us to do something, he'll eventually get, bring us around to do it. <laughs> Even if he has to scare us into it, maybe. I don't know. But God's call in your life, I wonder. How, how has God been manifesting himself in your life, especially during Christmas and this Epiphany Tide, to ask of you of something? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. Well, that's Psalm 96. That is our psalm for this coming Sunday. That's a beautiful song. It reminds me actually of a, of a song that I grew up with. Sing to the Lord with all of your heart. Sing to him a new song. Sing to him a new song. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, hymn, praise chorus, whatever you want to call it. But here, this, this, it, it, this is a psalm of praise that is declaring God for who he is. And it's something that should be attentional with us, that it should be on our lips regularly. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Regularly bring up in new ways the greatness of God. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Why? Because we have to be reminded of it. Because otherwise we will forget. We will not remember what it is that God has done for us. Instead, we will uh, look to other things. Uh, we, we will try and decide on other things, but instead we need to proclaim this regularly day after day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods are idols of other nations, but not our God. Declaring the greatness of the Lord. It's one of those things that we're trying to do with our education program here, Team 784, that now declare to the coming generations the marvelous deeds of the Lord, uh, depending on the translation that you use from Psalm 78, verse 4. Here, this necessity to declare who God is, that God is not some genie in a bottle. He's not the old man upstairs. He's not some uh, deist understanding of a God who doesn't care about you, but he's a God who does. And because he does, we praise him for what he's going to do and what he's been doing. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe glory and strength. Glory to his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. All these things of the greatness of God. So how great is God to you? Who is God to you? Is, is he just an accessory? Is he just something that you do out of obligation? Or is there something beautiful, something great in the Lord? That is, that is something that, that uh, I think we need to recapture, especially for those of us who are liturgical, who are of, of the high church. Something that we need to do is to recapture the beauty of the Lord, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of who he is. Like, who, who is he that, that, that we can come before him and give him honor and praise and celebrate who he is? Who is he to us in that, in that way? Because if we don't praise him in that way, it says here, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Elsewhere it says, let all the trees clap their hands. That all creation will praise him if we don't. That, that it, it, it is uh, similar to what Christ says to the Pharisees when they get mad at his disciples for praising him when he enters into Jerusalem on the donkey on Palm Sunday. And he says, well, hey, if these people shut up, the rocks would cry out. Because the creation is going to praise God for what he's about to do because God is going to make all things new through me. I wonder what it is that we need to have God do in us, his Holy Spirit to birth in us. A faith that clings to the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is Romans 13, 8 through 10. It's the traditional reading that we would have for this coming Sunday for our epistle text. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. It's interesting that Paul goes that direction because in many ways it's uh, love of God that causes us to, to uh, hopefully someday keep the commandments. But, but here it's this, this push for uh, an assumption that we're going to be loving God. 
fear-loving and trusting God above all things, as, as our small catechism says, that that's the work of God in us. And then there's this call for us to love one another, to grow in love for one another. And the way to do that by fulfilling the Ten Commandments is to love one another, right? You don't love one another if you're killing each other. You don't love one another if you're taking another person's stuff. You don't love one another uh, if, if you are sleeping with their spouse, right? That's not showing love for another. And notice that it's, um, it's a call for the church, but it's also a call for society. That if we're truly going to show love for one another, we're not going to be sitting here committing crimes against each other, right? But I want to pick up on, on one, one thing here. It says, you shall not covet. That we love our neighbor by not coveting. That's interesting because the commandment not to covet is one of the few in the Ten Commandments that technically is a victimless crime. You're the victim because you're desiring something that belongs to your neighbor. But you don't necessarily, unless you get to the point of stealing or murder or lying or something like that, you don't, if all you do is covet, you're not necessarily harming your neighbor. But by coveting something that belongs to your neighbor, the car, the truck, the house, the wife, the children, the job, the guitar, the computer, the whatever, by coveting those things, what you are then doing is you are actually hating your neighbor because you're assuming that they don't deserve to have that thing, which they don't, by the way, it's a gift from God. But then also, you're hating God because you are not loving the things that God has given to you. But to tie this back to our uh, text from Jonah, as well as our psalm, this, this desire and need for us to love God above all things causes us to love others because we start to hope to have the Spirit work in us, to start seeing what it is that God has given them, what God has been showering upon them and what God is prepared to do for them. Jonah, if he truly loved God, would have gone to Nineveh right away because he would have desired to see those people repent and turn to the Lord. But he didn't really truly love God, and he definitely didn't love the Ninevites, right? And same thing for us. That, that our prayer is that God might manifest himself, that his epiphany, his theophany, might come to us in a way so that the Spirit might work in us to grow our faith in him, that we might trust that uh, if we are to lose something of ourselves, to lose something that is ours in our love for one another, that it will be okay, that God will take care of us, that God will still love us. Because many times the, the breaking of the commandments is a lack of faith. A lack of faith to believe that that God will protect us uh, and so we go and we murder somebody that that God will provide for us we don't believe that and so we go steal uh, that that God will uh, uh, make sure that whatever he gives to us is what we need and so that we we can hopefully not covet all of those things Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, what I love about this is that this can drive us to Christ, right? Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He's the one who stepped into the law and he kept it. And that's his love for us. That Christ is truly the fulfillment of love your neighbor as yourself because he's loved us more than we could ever love our neighbor. And we have to give him glory for that. Because without him, we could do nothing. 
And so when, when we're called on to love our neighbor, we have to trust and know that we are going to fail at it, just like our prayer says, that we're going to fail at it many, many times, that the gospel is not love God and love your neighbor. That's all law. The gospel is, is that God loves us despite the fact that we do not love him and we really suck at loving our neighbor, but that his spirit is going to work in us to love in some way, shape, or form, even if it's in a way that we didn't think we could, or if it's in a way that maybe they don't want us to. God is still going to help us through with that. We have to give thanks to God that that's what he's going to do in Christ for us. And we pray that that would be so. Our gospel for this coming Sunday is Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, this is a seems like a simple text, and it kind of is. Jesus manifesting himself as part of creation. That it is that uh, he rebukes the winds and the waves, and, and they do what he says. Well, this goes back to Genesis chapter 1, where it says that God created the world through the word that he created all creation through speaking the word, that he created the world through Jesus, that Jesus is the word of God come to us. And so um, here we have Christ manifesting himself as he was manifested at the beginning of creation, which I find interesting because here they are on a boat, right? And they're over the waters. Well, what do we hear in Genesis 1? That, uh, that the earth was formless and void, and the spirit was over that there was water covering the earth and the spirit was over the waters and and in that chaos god speaks and says let there be light and there was light and he says it was good but here in the chaos of the wind and the waves and the storm and the destruction and the small little boat getting swamped and all these things christ speaks and brings peace in the chaos and that's the work of christ for you as the creator of making a new creation. He's going to do that in you. He continues to do that in you when he sends you a preacher, when, you send, when he sends you his word, when he calls to you, when he asks you to trust him. That is the work of God. That is the work of Christ in you, making you a new creation, where he speaks a promise over you, where he says, you of little faith, why, why are you afraid? Let me take care of you. And then he does. He speaks a new creation into the chaos of your sin and says, I forgive you all your sin. I forgive you all the times where you give me the finger and you walk away. That, that I forgive you all the times that you do not love your neighbor. That he speaks a, a new creation into being that on your deathbed, the promise of resurrection comes to you and then the word will come to you again as you lie in your grave to speak into your ear, arise and you will. That is the message here for us, that Christ speaks into the chaos of our sin and our, and our selfishness to grant us life, new life in him. And with that, we give thanks to God. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, who knows us to be set in the midst of so many and great dangers, that by reason of the frailty of our nature we cannot always stand upright, grant to us such strength and protection as may support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Well, church, go in peace, serve the Lord, and we will actually see you on, I believe, Tuesday uh, for the conversion of St. Paul. Mm-hmm.